Hello and welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study, our final lesson in our series, Difference Makers. It's from a passage I love. It's from the Kings, which I think I say a little bit about it at the beginning of this week's lesson. I always love studying the Kings, Northern Kings, Southern Kings, and explaining that there's so many good lessons. And one of those we find today, and it is our final word that we're looking at Difference Makers. I didn't tell the class up front, so I won't tell you listening in now. I made you wait till towards the end of the message to give you what this week's word is. But when we apply this week's word in our lives, we can be a difference maker. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this study. Next week, we, we are doing a breakfast at our church, so I'm not teaching live. So I don't know that I'll have anything on on Sunday. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. The week after that, we have a guest speaker. And then the week after that, we're starting a brand new series for about 20 weeks on the book of Romans. And I'm going to go ahead and, assuming the technology works right, bring all of those lessons right here to the podcast. I taught through the book of Romans back in 2012 and another time before that. And it was one of my favorite series to do through a book. Because Romans has everything the Christian life. It has everything. And it's such a foundational book to understand in the Christian life. So we're going to take 20 weeks on it. Maybe more, maybe a little less. We'll just see how it goes when we're teaching it at our church. But I will put those lessons right here in the podcast. All right. I've said a little bit more than normally on the intro. Like a little went a little longer on my study this week as well because I just love the passage. So sit back. Enjoy this study about Hezekiah. Have a great week. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter, we'll start in 16. Start in 2 Kings 16. And I'm not going to give you what this week's word is yet. Not till we get to it. All right? So we're going to wait. But I love talking about the kings. I almost did this six-week series on some of the southern kings of Judah. I didn't, but now I get to talk about one of the kings, and I just love getting into First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and tackling the subjects of these kings. And so, we're going to start. Though we've been in this series about difference makers, I think we understand that. You heard me praying about that. In this difference makers, we we don't want to sit on the sidelines. We want to make a difference, starting with our family, though. If if your mindset is, I want to make a difference and change this world, and your family isn't changed, then you need to start there. That's the first priority God has given you, and we need to start there. But today I want us to talk about a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah, and we'll get mainly to his life in chapter 18 in a second, but I want, to, I want to talk to you about his dad to start. Because Hezekiah didn't have the best of dads. Notice a few verses here in 2 Kings chapter 16. Let's look at starting in verse number 2. It says, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father, that's his ancestor. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, someone help me out in this class. I do this more to teens and have them give me some feedback. I'll start it here and then I'll just answer the question if I need to in a second. 
But when he says he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, what is it telling us there? And I understand this. When I'm saying this question, I understand. I have flown you into a text, and I just dropped you down in a parachute into the land that you may not be real familiar with, and now I'm asking you a question to describe it. So this is just my way of setting up context. I love talking about context. I need to give you the context, but I'm going to let you for a second, maybe. When he says that this man Ahaz walked in the way of the kings of Israel, why is that something that he would use as a, like a reference point? Anybody know? I may be wording the question wrong, but... Okay, here's, what I, here's why he is defining that. Because we are in a time in Israel when Israel has split. We have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is known as Israel. Now, if you're reading through the Bible with me on, on the podcast, which is a separate thing I'm doing, you are, we've been studying the narrative of Israel when they came into being a nation. They're getting ready to go to the promised land. That's all we think about is Israel. And if you're on that, eventually we're going to get to this point where Israel split. You have the uh, 10 of the tribes are, are in the northern kingdom, which is known as Israel. They had zero good kings. All of their kings were evil. All of them were wicked. And their kings always, I shouldn't say always in that case, but many times influenced the southern kings of Judah for bad. Okay, that's the northern king. That was the way of Israel. So when it says that Ahaz, who was a king in the southern kingdom, Judah, and it says that he walked in the ways of Israel, he's talking about the northern king. So he was a king that followed the influence of the northern kingdom, which was very wicked at this point in its history. And so Judah was of the southern kingdom. They did have some good kings. One of them is Hezekiah that I'm going to get to in a minute. But this man Ahaz was not a good king. And he had a little boy that was watching him named Hezekiah. He let me just read a few more verses here now that i've set that up he says he walked in the way of the kings of israel that's not a good thing yay now watch this 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 is just terrible and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the lord cast out before the children of israel now you know what that's saying there was these false gods moloch was one of them and in these false heathen religions, they would make their kids pass through the fire. They would burn their kids alive as a sacrifice to their God. They would, some, some would have a statue out like this with hands with burning flames underneath and, and hot as could be, and they would lay their newboards on that and kill their children, offering to the God of Moloch. It was absolutely barbaric. It was terrible. And here's a king Ahaz, southern kingdom. He's, he, he has God as his guide. He has the history of Israel, the, all of the Old Testament that you and the stories that you know from the times of being a kid. He had that history. He had that knowledge. He's the king of that. He had God's attention, everything. And he chose to follow the heathen gods. And he took one of his sons, Hezekiah's brother, older or younger, I'm not sure, probably older yeah, it could be younger and he made him pass through the fire killed his kid killed his kid 
It goes on, he says this in verse number four, and he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. He sacrificed in these high places. He shut down the temple, which was what it should have been, and he worshiped these false gods in the high places. Now, I, I understand, I'm, like I said, I'm dropping you into a middle of a context, but let me just give you something to, to kind of remember. Some of you know, some of this is just something to remember. Whenever you're studying the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, every good king would tear down the high places, tear down the groves, because those were, those were places where you worshiped false gods. Groves were like these, I, I picture them, whether this is this way or not. You know, those, what do they call those Indian... Um, Indian poles that they would dance around, that they would worship and stuff. What do you call them? Totem pole. I knew some of you would know that, by the way. You bunch of totem pole worshipers. All right. Just kidding. Those totem poles, that's how I picture these groves. Whether it is or not, it's just my imagination. But they would, they would worship their false gods. And, and so the good kings would tear those groves down. I don't think that's probably what it was at all, but that's just in my mind. They would tear those groves down. They would, they would tear up these high places. They would get rid of the high places and make it illegal. But not Ahaz. Ahaz killed his kid worshiped false gods, shut down the temple, and he allowed all of this to go on underneath his reign. And Hezekiah was watching this. I will start by saying, I haven't got to the word and I will get to in a little bit, but I want to start by saying this, no matter what your parents or your family or what you inherited, you can still make a difference. Because Hezekiah is going to be a guy that makes a difference. I'm going to give you that little hint right now. He's going to be a guy that makes a difference when he becomes king. But his dad was an absolute loser. His dad did not follow God. But Hezekiah is going to make a difference. And I always like that, especially when I'm teaching teenagers. But maybe to some of you as we grow as adults, we think, well, I didn't have the history that you do, Brad. Your, your dad's a pastor. Your grandpa was just in here. He was a pastor. You have a lineage. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your family is, you can make a difference for Jesus Christ. And Hezekiah is going to be an example of that. So we had that history as a dad, and, and I wanted to kind of show you that before we get into chapter 18. So go over to chapter 18 now, and let's talk about this man, Hezekiah, who I believe was a difference maker for his country. He wasn't perfect, and I'm going to show you that. I'm basically going to show you this man's life today, and I think there's some great thoughts in here about his life. But let's look at this man. Didn't have the greatest of upbringing. But let's look, in, starting in chapter number 18. Let's just read verse 4, it, 4 through 7. Let's read through that. I want to show you that, remember our points? I didn't, I didn't go back and recap. We're going to see that he was genuine and he was dependent upon God. Isn't that two of the words that we talked about this, this study? We've got to be genuine. We've got to be dependent upon God. We've got to be doers. We're going to see he's a doer as well. But let's just look starting in verse... I want to actually start in verse 3. Because notice the difference. Let's just start in verse 2. Because I just like all of this. All right, 20 and 5 years old. So you get an idea how old he was. 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. Now watch this. And he did that which was right. In the sight of the Lord. Good for him, because his dad didn't. According to all that David his father did. Remember his dad's, it says he didn't do what his David his father did. Now watch this, verse 4. He removed the high places. 
He break the images. He cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent um, that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Neheshtetan. Now watch verse 5. And he trusted the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. Isn't that a great phrase right there? And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. We're going to show you that in a second. And he smote the Philistines even into Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. I, I wrote a few things down here about him. First of all, as I said, he was genuine independent. As I said, if you're going to be a difference maker, and this is kind of a recap of all of our, our study in this man's life, but I said if you're going to be a difference maker, you've got to be genuine. You've got to be the real deal, and you've, got to, and you've got to be dependent upon God. And that's what this man was. We've seen that he walked close to God. He was, in a, he was a man that had a habit of prayer. We could go over to Second Chronicles and show you some of this as well. But he had a habit of prayer. He walked with God. It said in verse 5 that he trusted the Lord God of Israel. That's dependence. That he's trusting. He's dependent upon God. It says that he claved to God. That's got the idea of this walk and this dependence upon God. He was genuine. When you looked at this king and you studied his life, you would see that he loved God. It says that in verse number of six there that he kept the commandments which the lord commanded he was a doer he wasn't just a genuine and he wasn't just dependent upon god but he was a doer of the word and we said in our study that doers make a difference he said in verse number three that he did which was right so he did those things that are right very practical sense it says that he removed the high places that's being a doer that's looking at your nation that's worshiping false gods and saying, it's not going to happen anymore. We're going to cut this out. I'm sure you, you've got to understand, take yourself back. Just try to, sometimes when you study the Bible or a situation, you've got to try to put yourself in that situation. It, it, is, it is foolish of us. That may be a strong word to say. But it's, it's, it's not helpful to us to study the Bible and be like, well, yeah, of course he took down the high places. Like you would have done the same thing. Like I would have done the same thing. It's easy to sit there in a story, put yourself outside of a story and act like a superhero. Like, well, yeah, of course, if I was in the Bible Times, I'd have cut down them high places too. Okay, what about when two million people are whining at you and threatening you to take overthrow the kingdom? And what about when they've been, that's their gods. They've been worshiping those gods since your dad was around. It's not as easy as we like to think sometimes reading our Bible in our comfortable chairs saying, well, he better cut down them hedges. Uh, hedges, that would be like a home project, all right? The groves, he better cut down those, take out the high places. Well, I, I don't know that it's as easy as we think in 2023. I think he had to look at a nation that was so corrupt in their minds and worshiping false gods, and he says, listen, we're not going to do this anymore. The father, Our father was Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and we are going to do what's right, and I will take. And I think he faced a lot of backlash. If you've ever led anything before in your life, and if you led people, you know when you lead people, you're going to get a lot of complaints, and that can be the most difficult part of leading. And so when I try to read this, I'm trying to put myself in Hezekiah's shoes, 
and think, I'm glad he did this. He was a doer, even though it wasn't popular, probably. It's not like he had the support of his entire nation. He removed the high places. He cut the groves. He broke the brazen serpent that they had set up as a false god. He restored the temple worship, which God had commanded because his dad shut it down. He's going against what his dad did. He restored the temple worship. He cleansed the temple and he consecrated it. If you want to do more deeper study, you can go to Second Chronicles and study it this afternoon, chapters 29 through 31. But I'm getting through it somewhat fast. But what I'm saying is, yes, he was genuine. Yes, he was dependent upon God, but he was a doer. He didn't just sit back and say, well, my dad messed everything up. And so I'm just, this is what I inherited. No, he said, I'm going to change the narrative of my life and this story. We're going to get back to serving God. So often our, our culture today is this, sit back and say, well, this is the life I've got. Look at the parents I've got. Look at the situation I'm in. Look at what my spouse did. Look at what my ex-spouse did. Look at what my kids did. This is my life. No, take the narrative, take back control of the narrative. Be a doer. Be dependent. Be, be genuine. But be a doer. You don't have to play victim in your entire life. And so he was a doer and he, and he did what God wanted him to do. And so, but here's the thing. Here's what's going to happen. Everything about this man so far, I just love. But when you're making a difference, you're going to face some attacks. You're going to get the attention of the enemy. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's where, this, where we're going to get to our next word here in a second. Now, all of a sudden, it says the Lord was with him. Everything is going good. He is changing the narrative. I love this man. But a problem is going to arise, and the problem is going to come in these people called Assyria. Look at verse 13. It says, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah. From my understanding, that's the outside cities of Judah. He wasn't attacking the heart of Judah. He's getting the outside skirts of Judah. And he took them. Now, so I'm going to stop there for a second. Here's Assyria. Let me tell you about Assyria, give you some context on Assyria. Assyria was a nation whose capital was Nineveh. Where do we see Nineveh in the Bible? Someone said it with a very whispery voice, but there we go. He got strong, just like you were cheering for IU last night. You got to get strong. It, Jonah. Remember God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah was so scared of Nineveh, he went the opposite direction. He said, I want nothing to do with Nineveh. And it's probably a good reason, not a good reason, that sounded bad, but for good cause to be scared because Nineveh was a powerful and wicked nation. So powerful and so wicked that if you were their enemy, they would skin you alive and put your skins on the outside of their walls so that you, anyone that tried to come and mess with them, you see the skins of people. Now, my wife had me in Ikea yesterday, and we were looking at skins of these cows, and I felt really awkward. She's like, wouldn't this be good on our floor? I'm like, the thing was just in a field yesterday. <laughs> and look at it. It looks like a cow. Like, if I get underneath it, it's going to look like a cow. Like, what are we doing here? I just felt really awkward. But that's nothing compared to walking up and seeing John skinned, right? Not John. I picked the wrong name, John. But, uh, but seeing a skin of a human being. But that, these people were wicked. These people were intimidating. And, and what, another thing that's interesting about Assyria is I was studying them. Instead of just farming or starting a business, what they would do is just go take over a nation and take over others' farms and their businesses. And they would just grow in numbers and grow in power. 
They weren't intimidating people. They had already, or they would be, and I think at this point, they had already taken over the northern kingdom of Israel. Syria had attacked them. And now they want to come for Judah. And so they have their eyes set. They've already started this attack. They've taken the fenced cities on the outside. And Hezekiah has a chance to make a difference. And you know what he does? He fails. He makes a dumb decision. And I'm not glad that he did, but Brad of 2023 that needs him to make him do, needs to learn sometimes from my failures. In that sense, I'm glad he did. I'm glad God told us about it. Because you know what? There's going to be some times in our lives when we make some bonehead decisions of fear. And here's what he did. Here's what he did. Look at verse 14. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Uh-oh. Sound, sounded like a weak approach to start. Let's see where he goes. Return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria pointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So he apologizes. Says, I must have offended you. You're attacking my people. What do you need to do? And so now Assyria is saying, you give me this money and I'll stop. Well, hold on a second. You're coming into our country to take us and now you're putting a price and if I pay you, you're going to stop. It's never going to happen, by the way. But so Hezekiah, notice what happens. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found where, notice this. All the silver that was found in the house of the Lord. That's a big mistake. But can I show you where he learned that? Go back real quick to chapter 16. Go back to chapter 16. Remember when I said earlier, I said no matter who your parents are, you can still make a difference? But let me say this, parents still have an influence. Look at verse 8. Luke verse 8, and Ahaz, that's his dad, took the silver and gold that was found where? In the house of the Lord. And in the treasures of the king's house and sent it forth as a present to the king of Assyria. He saw his dad do the same thing. And in a moment of panic, in a moment of fear, in a moment of what am I going to do in this situation, he didn't go to God. Again, take yourself outside of the Bible and don't be the superhero. How many times have we get fearful and make some pretty bad decisions? And in fear, he said, I remember dad doing this once and it worked. And so he goes to the house of the Lord, the temple that he's opened and restored. That's, that money is dedicated to God. Achan made a, bit, a similar decision. And Joshua, not type of decision, but he took of the money of God and it cost him and his family. But here he is and he takes the money from the house of the Lord and tries to pay off an enemy. Instead of crying out to God at this point and saying, God, I need you to stop this enemy, he decides to try to pay him off with God's money. And instead of that working, notice, well, let's look at verse 16 to compound this. And, and, and at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah the king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Does you guys' Bible have a heading at the next part right here? Does it, you know like those headings that say we're transitioning somewhere? Here's what mine says. Is Assyria taunts Judah. Does anyone have one similar to that? You do, Aaron? Well, because we have the same Bible, yeah. He's always wanted to be like me his entire life. I'm just kidding. It says Assyria taunts Judah. So they got paid, but they go right back to making fun of Judah. And their attack continues. And I have to hurry because of time a little bit, but... 
they begin to continue to attack. It says, let me, I'm trying to see how much I need to skip down to to actually get to my point today. I just love these stories. But let me talk a little bit about Sennacherib. He ends up sending his main general, Rabshakeh. I'm going to call him Rabshakeh. I can't say his name, to Jerusalem. Here's what he begins to do. If I were to read down starting 17 on down, down through 23, down all the way to the end of this chapter, he comes and he mocks their confidence in God. He begins to mock them, saying, why are you trusting in God? Why would you even trust your God? He, can't, he didn't protect Israel. He's not going to protect you. So he mocks their God. He mocks their confidence in Egypt. Well, you know, you, you guys think Egypt's going to come and help you. He's mocking, their, he's mocking their military strength. He's saying, look at you guys. You guys have no strength at all. There's no way you can stand up to us. And then he was boasting of all his victories over other nations and other gods. So he begins to list these other nations. And he says, they have a God and we beat them. Where's their God? And, he's try- and, they, and they're just mocking and mocking and mocking and mocking and mocking. And at this point, Hezekiah realizes, I'm in trouble. I took a bad approach and I tried to pay. And that didn't work. And I'm in trouble. Look at chapter 19. Verse 1, and it came to pass when Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes, humility, always a good start, and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord where he had taken some money and cut some of that gold. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and, and Shebna, the scribe and the elders of the priests, and covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Now we're going to read Isaiah at some point I mean, in our reading through the Bible. I'm kind of mixing everybody, the podcast people in the Sunday school class. But we will read through Isaiah at some point. But it's in the context here. Hezekiah says, I'm in trouble. I need to get to the, to the prophet, to the man of God. And he sends to Isaiah saying, Isaiah, here's my situation. What does God want me to do? What should I do? He's actually, I love what he's starting to do here. He humbled himself, which humility always gets God's attention. If you ever want to know how do I get God's attention, there's several ways. But number one, the way I just I always say God cannot refuse humility. It's like if you study the Bible, everybody that's humble gets an answer from God. God, it's like God cannot refuse humility. I've joked with it before in sermons. It's like me with chocolate chip cookies. I cannot refuse them. I could be six months into a diet. If there's a chocolate chip cookie, I've got to have it. In a greater, more spiritual way, God can't refuse humility. He just loves humility. In Bible, all throughout, study, this, study the subject of humility sometime. But he sends word to Isaiah, and God gives a promise in verse 6. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus saith ye, thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard with what the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon them. And he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So this is the promise he receives. What I love about this is God didn't rebuke him here. Humility, he understood his sin, he understood I shouldn't have been paying this off. He, he, he's humbled himself and God came at him and didn't, didn't rebuke him for that. God came and gave him an answer of hope. But all it is right now at this point, right, is an answer. All it is is some guy comes back with a message and says hey here's the message from god he didn't hear it directly some guy told him here's the message from god god's going to take care of this situation that's all it is right now it's all it is is a message from god it's kind of like kind of like 
when we hear a pastor preach a message about the promises of God, and we know the promises of God, but we're facing real-life situations, and all of a sudden we're like, I'm scared to death. And that's what's going to happen, because guess what? It's Rabish, that guy, Rab, Rab Shaki, he doesn't care what Isaiah said. He doesn't care at all. And so Hezekiah's got this promise now. He's encouraged. But this guy, this guy uh, Rab, I'm trying to think of his, how to say his name, but Rab Shaki, here, here he comes. And in verses down through here, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know what he does? He starts making fun of them again. And he says, guys, we're going to absolutely obliterate you. We are going to kill you. You can trust your gods. This other nation trusted their gods. That didn't work. So keep praying. He's trying to cause doubt, cause doubt, cause doubt. He's trying to get at them. And he writes this letter to them. I love this story. I think about this all the time. But he writes this letter to them. And in this letter, he is mocking them. I don't have time to read it. But he's mocking them. And he's basically saying, we are going to destroy you. The reason I like this is because this is real for Hezekiah. You're a leader. This is a scary situation. Now, he has the promise, right? But let me ask you guys, do all of you that know the promises of God always act on those promises, or do you still get fearful sometimes? I still get fearful sometimes. And he has the promise from Isaiah, but he's got a letter in his hands of all of the ways that they are going to destroy them. He's holding it in his hands just like this. He's holding this letter from this guy named, I'm going to call him Rab. Okay, Rab is coming, and Rab says, we're going to destroy, and he's making fun of him. He's got this letter. And this is where the difference maker comes in. And this is the word. If you and I are going to be a difference maker, yes, we've got to be genuine. Yes, we've got to be a doer. Yes, we've got to be dependent doer. Yes, we've got to be compassionate. Yes, we've got to be steadfast. But we've got to be prayerful. Prayer makes a difference. And here's why. Look, notice what happened. I love this phrase, this verse. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed. I love that. I, I love the picture of him taking that. And he just comes before the altar. I don't know that he's got anybody with him. He's just alone. And he takes this threat and he sets it down at the altar. And he just prays to God. To me, I like to think in pictures. This, a lot of times when I go to the altar, that's how I visualize it. I visualize, here's the burden, God. Here's, what's, here's what I'm scared to death about. Here's what's got me so fearful. Here's the threat. Here's the situation. And God, I am laying it down to you. A lot of times when I preach, if I can get alone sometime in the week, I'll take the lesson that's done. Usually when I used to preach it all the time and I had papers, now it's just all my iPad. But I used to take it and I would lay it down and say, God, here's the message. I, I can't do this. I need you. But to me, that visual picture, and he's laying it down before God, and it says, and Hezekiah prayed. The whole nation, the weight of the nation is on his shoulders. If he gets this wrong, if he doesn't, if he's not a good leader here, if something happens, they're going to be wiped out like the northern kingdom. They're going to be wiped out like all these others. He's going to be the laughing stock of a king. Is he going to put all of his trust in God, or is this, is he going to truly stick with this? 
trust God? Or is he going to come up with another plan like the money one? And instead he says, we're going to trust God. And he prayed to God. He came reverently to God. He came very specific to God. His motive was pure. And look at verse 20. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib the king of Assyria. Watch these words. I have heard. That's powerful right there. God says, I have heard. Hezekiah knew. God, he heard me. We're going to win this battle. As a matter of fact, they do. As we go on, if they were to go on, it comes down and, and uh, let's see if I can get to verse 32. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city, nor shoot an arrow here. I'm not even going to let him shoot an arrow there. Nor come before with a shield, nor cast bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for this, my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, wise, and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. Not even a battle. There wasn't even a battle. Nothing needed to be done. Hezekiah got humble before God. He laid out his request like this. He didn't know what was going to happen. And God just, all God had to do was just send an angel of the Lord out there. While they're sleeping, they all die. Next morning, Hezekiah gets up and there's just corpses. 180, what, 5,000, is that what it said? 185,000 dead corpses laying there. And now Hezekiah who I think to bring this full circle probably had some opposition when he cut down the groves and probably had some opposition when he said we're not going to worship God in the high, these false gods he probably had some opposition but now he looks back at his nation a difference maker and he says you see those 185,000 dead bodies that we did nothing that's our God and the whole nation saw a revival in that moment why? Because he prayed and he trusted God. And I think this is a, yes, a big story. And our battle is not with 185,000 people. But prayer makes a difference. It makes a difference in your marriage. It makes a difference for your children. It will make a difference in our country. It will make a difference in the small things. It will make a difference in the big things. But the problem is a lot of us just don't pray or we don't trust it. We don't trust God to just continue to pray. We say we do, and we, we, we know prayer. We hear that prayer makes a difference, but we always think it's for the other guy or for the Billy Sundays or for the D.L. Moody's. But it's, it's for the Brad McClure's. It's for you. we got to pray believing. And God answers prayer. I'll close with these. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. John 15, 7. If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. John 14, 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, 
He heareth us. If we want to be difference makers, we've got to be men and women of prayer. Let's pray.